Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, I rebranded here. I was just telling Jared off air that the other interview that I had done, I had given it some BSPN interview name. And I was like, you know what? Let's just use branding that I already use elsewhere. (laughs) The Double G Show. Jarrett is the very first guest on this newly branded interview show. So we don't have Thompson to Clark this week because Brad is on vacation. But we have something Giants related with with Jarrett here. Jarrett Seidler from baseball prospectus man this is a good time of the year for you as we head to the playoffs yeah everything's getting real busy we actually just starting work on our uh, prospects list so i'm like uh i'm like knee deep in cincinnati reds prospects right oh, now because they're, the, they're the first list i'm writing so yeah <laughs> i'm like i'm like very strongly considering the red system at this point but uh yeah i just started work on our book um that'll be out in January, February ish. Um, yeah, so we're and the playoffs just started. We got all sorts of playoff coverage coming up. Um, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll be working on that over the next couple of weeks. So yeah, this is it from now until um, Christmas, New Year's is my busiest time of year by far. Even though the season just ended, you'd think it'd be different. You'd think yeah, busier during the season, but now <laughs> much busier during the early off season. Well, I appreciate you hanging out with us in your busy moment. So hopefully this will be fun for you. But uh, we were also uh, just talking off air about how to like, there's so many games going on. All four, all four wildcard games were today. I was able to watch the first one, which was a terrible baseball game. Uh, The the Rays and and the Rangers. That was fun to see Bruce Bochy and his giant head (laughs) talking about why they didn't send the guy home from third in the game that, the announcers were like, oh, what a mistake. And then he's yeah. like, eh, we, we, we had a good hitter up. It's fine. And then they win 4-0. So he was right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, ultimately, um, you know, trying to watch so many games, I was looking for a, a vehicle to, like, give me, like, all four games. Let's talk about them. But I don't know. I, was, I couldn't find anything. I just said throw on just one game at a time and you were telling me hey, you have multiple tvs to watch it so yeah if you see any, find our ways if you see any weird reflections in the wood paneling <laughs> i have both games on in the background so yeah yeah I, i'm lucky to have a very large finished basement that has like a 25 foot long bar room that has three tvs hey, in man. It. i also record my podcasts in because i don't actually get to hang out down here that much because you know <laughs> it's how you do what you do so yeah but uh i record my podcast down here so yeah we're you know the phillies games just starting arizona and milwaukee are tied um it's kind of nice usually i mean this is going to be my east coast bias showing through i live in new jersey <laughs> Usually one of these games goes off at like nine forty or ten yeah. ten or something. Yeah, Eastern yeah, yeah. Time. And I just like I can't stay up until one a.m. watching baseball. Like I can if it's like the World Series or whatever. 
whatever, but I have a job. So, um, yeah, no, this is great. And then, you know, with the pitch clock, that's going to yeah. help as well this postseason. And I yeah. saw that they are, you know, they're making sure that the rules are, are staying the same, though. There, were, there was something about the, the way that they're starting the clock. What was that about? Yeah, they're just kind of, you know, there's been so over the course of the season, there's been, you know, some complaints, mostly by pitchers, less so by hitters, but a little bit by hitters um, about the pitch clock, um, just like not being long enough. Everybody kind of wants it a couple a couple seconds longer. Um, so what they did was they kind of they almost did the same thing they did with the umpires instead of just having like the pitch clock guy from the home ballpark they're um they they selected the best pitch clock timers and they're having them there you go run the pitch clocks that makes the, sense during the playoffs yeah, that's which, logical yeah it makes sense yeah so, makes a lot of sense yeah but like i mean i if you watched baseball over the course of the season basically you forgot the pitch clock existed by like the end of the all-star break, like just almost no violations happen. You might have one violation a game, two violations a game. Um, But there was a, there was a day, I think it was in September where there was a full slate of games. There was no pitch clock violations. Like, you know, it just kind of faded into the background. Everybody got used to it. And I personally, from an aesthetic standpoint, think it's absolutely tremendous for the game. You just, you know, the game moves faster. There's less like random bogus downtime of like guys adjusting their cup or like stepping out, <laughs> to, like you know, strap on their uh, batting gloves. Yeah, batting gloves like twenty, like the Nomar Garcia power routine that everybody started emulating. It's like a timing mechanism, and yeah, just it. You're cutting. You're not cutting out any game action. You're just cutting out all the random BS. Plus, you know the. I got to watch so much more West Coast baseball this year than I usually do because, you know, I usually go to bed like, you know, 10, 30, 11, 11, 30. And a lot of times I could get, you know, five, six innings in. Yeah. Obviously, it's like three. So, yeah. 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 Well, when I when I was playing, uh, when I was playing semi-pro back in the day, back in the day, yeah. uh, I, I kind of just tried to mirror what Bonds did, which was Bonds would take a pitch. He would step out with his front foot. Back foot is still in the box. He would just look at the the third base coach. Third base coach would just give him one sign, which was hit, hit a home run. And uh, and then he'd get right back in the box. And it was almost like his tempo was to say, I'm here and I'm waiting, like bring it. And I always thought that that was kind of like the best way to put the pressure on the pitcher to, to, to deliver something. But again, that's Barry Vons, who's one of the best hitters of, of all yeah. time. So it's a little bit different for other folks who are trying to, you know, get comfortable in there. And obviously, you know, now with everyone coming out of the bullpen throwing a hundred miles an hour might not be that easy, but that's how I always thought was the best way. It's just like, keep, make, make these guys keep their back foot in that box and then, you know, just get them back in there. Right. And this is a slightly different way of attacking the same problem because you're kind of, you know, they can still walk around and do their little routine if they want, but they can only take, you know, five seconds to do it or whatever the timing ends up being. Um, Has has there been a discussion about box being up because of the hurriedness from the pitch clock? So my, I think the larger impact on box is the uh, throwover rule, the disengagement rule where you can only throw over twice. And it actually is a balk if you throw over a third time and don't get the runner. Um, So I think that's been more of an impact on it than, um, 
the pitch clock rule. The pitch clock, the most of the pushback on the pitch clock has been that there's been some attempt to try and tie it to injuries. It's mm-hmm. still kind of early on to see what the effect is of that. This well, I'm sure what... you guys will have some data yeah. in a couple years, yeah. and you, you probably will pr- have some pretty good conclusions too. Yeah, we, we've looked at it already a little bit, um, and it's kind of conflicting at this point because yeah. um, there's – there's so many other aspects to it. Like, how do you separate that out from the rising velocity in the game? Sure. Just, you know, all the teams select more for velocity and select more for, you know, break on breaking pitches and just raw stuff. And that's also more taxing on the arm. So pitching injuries were already going way up. Right. Um, The shortened major league season and canceled minor league season in 2020 has had reverb effects, you know, still now three years later, just because pitchers have less, you know, innings foundation. Um, right. That's still, that's also still reverbing with player development stuff. You know, if you start looking at that, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about Marco Luciano. And all oh yeah. That. He's a, oh, yeah. You know, he's a, he's a guy where you can <laughs> point to that is that that lost year might've pretty substantially hurt him. I mean, Zadie came out today and said, I mean, he didn't pencil him in as a starting shortstop yeah. next year, but he's basically said that that's the plan, you know, that they would love for him to win that job out of, out yeah. of the spring training. Yeah, and, and he's a, you know, if you look at what he's been doing, his his swinging strike rates are really, you know, his contact rates are concerning. And you kind of wonder he didn't really have, like, that first – he 2020 probably would have been – he would have been assigned to the low A level and would have gotten a full year at the low A level. And you kind of wonder, you know, how that ultimately defects, affects the development, like, way down the road. Yeah, it's you know it's, it's it's impossible to kind of say, but you know this this season he had an awful lot of contact problems and hit the ball on the ground too much, and those are pretty typical young player issues that oftentimes get better with uh, more repetitions. So who knows? Maybe in, maybe in his case with more repetitions. You know, that could have been less of an issue for him. But um, so I, I have two worries with him, but then I have one thing that I'm not actually worried about with him, which is so I'll, I'll go with the two negative things first, which is he's a big dude. <laughs> like uh, when I saw him on TV for the first time, you know, you see all these minor league highlights and stuff. And but to see him on the 4K television, I was like, oh, wow, this dude is this dude is big. Yeah. yeah. I worry that he's not really going to be a shortstop for much longer that's been you know we've been talking that he might end up at third base for a long time now like this yeah. is not he's never been a locked defensive shortstop um he's improved there over the years he made it up as a shortstop but that's never been like an out and out like dead set um you know he's definitely gonna play shortstop like there's yeah. guys there's definite shortstops defensively um, around. And then there's maybe shortstops. And then there's no way this guy's actually going to play shortstop. Like uh, Junior Caminero, the kid that the Tampa Bay Rays just called up, who had um, one of the top prospect ascendancies this season. This guy went from playing complex ball 14 months ago, and now he's (laughs) on the Rays playoff roster and is one of the top three prospects in minor league baseball. We had him number two at midseason. Um, 
he's not going to play shortstop for a substantial period of time at the major league level. I know they played him there for a couple of games this season. He's just, he's too big and too um, not agile enough for the position. Um, he's kind of like over the Corey Seager line. He's going to end up at third base. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you have guys that are, you know, like just stellar defensive prospects that definitely stick at shortstop. Um, and you can kind of see that, all the way down the line, those guys come up, don't come across like a tremendous amount of the time because there's always like physical growth aspects, but like Francisco Lindor, when he was a prospect, there was no question ever that Francisco Lindor was going to stick at shortstop. Right. Um, and he's turned out to be one of the best defensive shortstops in the major leagues. Right. too. Um, and then there's, by far the largest bucket is the maybe shortstops. Maybe yeah. this guy's going to stick a shortstop. Maybe he's not. And Luciano has been in that bucket kind of pretty much the entire time. Um, and there's guys that are in the maybe bucket that end up staying. You know, Carlos Correa has played his entire career. Right. Yeah. He's he was, a, he's a bigger player right. as well. You know, Corey Seager. Those are, those are guys that as a prospect, people thought might have to move to third base. Um, and they've played their entire career at shortstop. And then there's, um, guys that you forget were shortstop prospects way back in the day, like Miguel Cabrera was a shortstop <laughs> prospect. That's my favorite one. Um, yes. you know, um, and, and sometimes even the short shot, you know, Manny Machado was considered a short shot, shortstop prospect. He's played some in the short in the majors, but he's played an awful lot of third base, yeah. a lot yeah. more third base than he has uh, shortstop. Yeah. So yeah, it's not, this is pretty common for like your top shortstop prospects to not really know whether they're actually going to stick at shortstop when they're 21, 22 years old. That's kind of something. A lot of times it just depends on team needs. And, um, you know, it looks like the needs of the giants are going to push him into attempting to play shortstop. You know, um, I, I assume Brandon Crawford's probably not coming back. Is that pretty safe to say? I mean, they played it like it was his last game ever. Yeah. The, you know, that final game. Yeah. Yeah, and he, yeah. I, I can't imagine. Well, you know, I, I would hope that for his sake that because this dude has a lot of kids, man, <laughs> for, for his sake, uh, if he's got it all out of his system, it'd be a great way to go out one team. Yeah. You know, you got three, uh, two World Series championships under your belt, uh, gold glover. You're, you're an all time giant. So it's it's a nice thing for him. And. He, he was just not he was not a good player offensively or defensively this year. You know, I'm sure he, I'm sure his defensive metrics are probably, you know, average or, or, or above average. But the, the, he, he made more mistakes because of inability to have, you know, that those fast, quick twitch muscles that he had when he was younger. You, you, I just saw them and was like, he would have made that play like two years ago, let alone, you know, six or seven years ago. So unfortunate for him, he's just banged up too. But uh, back to Luciano, the the other thing that worries me a little bit is he's been dinged up. Uh, last year, he he didn't finish his, his season because I think there was like a back injury. I think this year he had uh, a lower lower body injury. I don't know if it was a knee or something that caused him to miss some time. And I think he would have actually been back up with the big club but there was the an injury that stopped that from happening because they could have they could have used him. I mean, they had to try and bring in Paul DeYoung. And you know, I think Paul DeYoung, if you add up his uh 
Blue Jays and Giants stay. He may have had like three hits in in both of those yeah, days. So. Yeah, and he wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire in St. Louis before <laughs> no. he got traded either. So, um, so yeah, the injury thing is a concern. And as he grows, he's not going to get smaller. His body is going to continue filling out. And so, some of this may just be, you know, those kind of growth spurt kind of things. But that does worry me a little bit. Is back to back years he hasn't just been able to play through uh full years clean without getting hurt and the back injury lingered into 2023 too it, it you know he was behind in spring and they was behind getting out of the gates and you know that was um i think they ended up revealing it was a stress fracture eventually or something of that nature um but yeah i mean look we're both older than the vast, I think you're older than all baseball. <laughs> I'm running out of guys because Wainwright's retiring and Miguel Cabrera's retiring. Yeah, um, I need I need a I need a Charlie Huff to still yeah. be throwing knuckleballs yeah, for me to I, be the same age as, as somebody. I'm, I'm an '84 birthday, so they're running out pretty quickly. Um, you know what? I, I assume you probably have the back pain of somebody that's roughly oh in our age. Yeah. Once you start having back pain, you usually don't stop having back pain. And so you, that you have to do more things like yoga yeah, and Pilates. Yeah. yeah. Just to so, sustain. So guys that have back problems when they're really young, and he's not the only top right. Brady House and the national systems also had um, similar kind of chronic ish back uh, issues. Once you start having those, that's a thing you usually have to manage for the rest of your career. It's not something that just like magically um, disappears, you know, that's, you know, and that might take the form of a little bit more rest than usual. It might ultimately take the form of putting him in a less taxing defensive position. Right. Uh, So, you know, to kind of tie the two concerns together a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's been a, God, he's been a top 100 prospect for what? Probably five years now, give or take, you know, really since he was in the low, low minor. Mm-hmm. I, you guys probably heard about him the, the even before he signed. He was a top dollar prospect down there and has, you know, pretty much performed to expectations, made the majors, you know, 21, came up and, you know, there's been more concerns. Um, he's also, his prospect career so to speak i know it's weird to talk about like a 21 year old having an entire career behind yeah. him but his minor league career has came at a time when we've been reevaluating how we evaluate prospects not just on the public side but teams have been too um just the influx of really advanced pitch by pitch swing by swing batted ball data all of which is available now in the minor leagues and Luciano is the type of prospect that I think 10 years ago we probably would have held in higher regard because there was less granular data on like what's actually driving his swing and miss concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, now instead of looking at a strikeout rate, you're looking at like an in-zone contact rate, which is a little more finite. Um but yeah, I mean, he's a very good prospect. I think he's probably going to be a pretty good major leaguer. It might be a little rough in 2024. That might be asking a decent amount of him. You know, I suspect he's going to out hit Casey Schmidt's 2023. <laughs> I would certainly hope oh, so. Oh, we're going to we're going to talk about oh, Casey God. Schmidt. Yeah. I, this is this is my line with Casey Schmidt. The yeah. second that pitchers figured out that they did not have to throw him a strike. He was done. He was absolutely done. 
yeah, that's that's why swing decisions are important, <laughs> right? You've got to be able to the the two things you've got to be able to do are not expand the zone to pitches that you can't hit. And also be able to relatively consistently make hard contact in the air. And he kind of wasn't really able to do those things. So he kind of just chased everything and yeah. didn't make a whole lot of hard contact. You know, he did lift the ball pretty well, but he didn't, you know, he just kind of didn't make enough hard contact. He's a he's a really versatile and really nifty defender. Yeah. Um He's one of the rare guys that's been going up the defensive ladder as he's moved. He played a lot more shortstop this year. Yeah, they were they were before. comfortable playing him there yeah. um, when Crawford got because Crawford got hurt a few times this year, yeah. and they were comfortable playing him there. And if he would have if he would have hit a little bit better or maybe a a, a lot better, he could have pushed Crawford to the bench yeah. against uh, you know against left handed pitchers for sure. But it just didn't happen because he didn't hit well enough. But the the Luciano thing, so obviously he's going to have to make way more good contact. <laughs> but the ball jumping off of his bat is at a different level than anybody uh, except for Jock Peterson uh, on that team. Like like the the ball still jumps off of Jock's bat, and I, and I you know I Brad and I were a little harder on Jock, but it wasn't. It was, you know, Jock's a little lackadaisical and not lackadaisical. That's the wrong word. He's loose. He's very loose and he plays sort of loose and carefree. And that's fine when your team is winning. And when your team is not winning, it sort of looks like he's being careless. And I don't think he was being careless. But the problem with Jock this year is the Giants needed him to play way more defense then anybody had their right mind playing him defensively. So when you have to factor in him playing left field, in addition to his hitting, then it just drops his value as an overall player. And that's what was frustrating just having to watch him play left field. But at the same time, I couldn't really get mad at him. Like we know what he is as a left fielder. Yeah. Why is he in that position? Well, because the Giants roster was what the Giants roster was. Yeah. I mean, they were searching for outfield options for, most of the, you know, they, and they cycled through a lot of prospects in that time period too. You know, yeah, Ramos, I'm going to, I'm going to get to you about that because yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on that strategy as well, but fin- you can finish your jock thought. Yeah. He, you know, if you kind of look at what jock did, he really hit pretty close to his career norms. This right. season, a little less power, but not, you know, he kind of had the jock Peterson season. It's just in, you know, he's had a couple of these seasons where he's put it all together in once, and one of them was 2022. So yeah. he, you know, goes from 2022, where he was one of the better hitters in the National League, and then 2023 is, you know, back to, you know, essentially he's like a really nifty platoon player who's like just a little too good to actually be a platoon player. He's a righty crusher who you really don't want to put in the outfield as much as possible. I mean, the Giants had. Um, five dhs on this team which was right. really the problem <laughs> right and then you know that's you know that's like a common criticism of um sabermetric front offices right that they just don't care enough about defense but you know jock's one of these guys where he's just like totally maximized like on his 
essentially the the shape of his offensive performance so it's basically just like how many of these hard hit balls in the air fall in because you know he's going to hit a ton of them and you know he's going to make a good amount of contact he's going to hit it really hard but you just kind of get caught in the vagaries of you know the fly ball hitter life giants Um, giants might have had the best slow pitch softball team in the majors this year and that's also a brutal park for that kind of hitter (laughs) too like it's a terrible park fit for him like he's a he's a left-handed pull it in the air guy like um you know just but yeah 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 i mean he went out there and tried to play the i think chuck peterson hasn't been a starting caliber defensive outfielder since I don't know, 27. We're talking about Cabrera, Cabrera being a shortstop. Wasn't Jock Peterson a center fielder? Oh, yeah. He came up. People <laughs> thought he could play defense when he came up. Yeah, he came up as a center fielder. I remember seeing him. Uh, I remember I was sitting in the center field stands at um, City Field. Um, and this was probably like 2015 or 2016. Um, and the fans there were chanting, change your number, Adam, because he was standing right in front. He was wearing number 31 with the Dodgers, which is Mike Piazza's number. Right, right, right. Um, and obviously Mike Piazza's uh, Met legend, too. So, the yeah, but yeah, he was playing center field there was the point. Like, he was like the regular center fielder at yeah. the time. And now yeah. it's like watching, like, you know, it's not quite as bad as like the Kyle Schwarbers of the world, but he's also... Yeah, yeah, when Kyle Schwarber can hit 40 jacks, then you, you're like, okay, right. we'll, we'll sort of let it ride a right. little bit. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill um so back to your your thing about the giants using a lot of their prospects to kind of having to play positions there i was wondering about this just related to historically because giants fans you know when when a player is added to that main roster the idea is like the top prospect guys. I'm not yeah. talking about, you know, fill-ins or AAA guys yeah. who've been there for a while. Usually you go, oh, we're now creating room. We're adding him to the 40 man. He's on the team. He's gonna be here. And we're not, we're not gonna see the the back and forth. But that has not been the the Zadie experience for for Giants fans. So yeah. when someone like Kyle Harrison comes up, in our minds, we're like, oh, he's here to stay. And then he went down and then he came back up. But same with Luciano. I don't like it's we're not really comfortable with the idea that these guys are just roster pieces as much as because historically you go back, Buster Posey comes up, the Giants don't the Giants kind of wait to bring him up, even though he was way ready because they don't want to get that arbitration clock going. But it's almost like they don't care as much these days with starting that clock on certain guys. Um, and I don't know if that means that that they're only doing that for like the tippy tippy top prospects these days, or is just that roster flexibility so much more important in today's game? I think it's a little bit of both. So the service time manipulation stuff has changed a little bit in the new CBA. And 
a lot of teams, a lot of the smarter teams are taking the position that as long as you can maintain the player's rookie eligibility in that season, not have the 45 days on roster, not have the 50 innings pitch or 150 bats. Um, I may have slightly screwed up those numbers if I did, but I apologize. I just, I, I Google who's still working eligible. <laughs> but for, it's something like that. <laughs> I think it's actually 130, but that's whatever. Um, Close enough. If you get them that little bit of experience in that first season, they maintain the rookie eligibility and then they play the entire next year in the majors. You're eligible for extra draft picks if they ah, reach the prospect promotion incentives with the rookie year stuff. So you've seen that you saw that with a couple of guys this year, Mason Wynn, um, Nolan Shanowell with the Angels, um, and both of the you know both Luciano and Harrison, I believe, still have the rookie eligibility. Oh yeah, yeah. So I Lu- think Luciano's probably under twenty five right, at bats. I think. Right. So I think you're well within the um, the sphere of and both of those guys, especially Harrison are going to have a pretty good shot at placing in the NL Rookie of the Year contest next year. So you kind of, you get that extra, you get the few starts at the beginning of next season, you know, three or four starts. Plus you get, I think you made like six or seven starts in the majors. So you get like 10 extra starts. Yeah. Plus you get the possibility to win that uh, pick, which is a first round pick. It's at the end of the first round. It's a pretty valuable pick. Um so teams have kind of started manipulating service time in that way, as opposed to doing the classic, we're going to call you up either on April 20th or June 15th to call back the year of service time or push back arbitration a year, which is kind of how it had been done. There's still some teams doing that. And it also depends on when the player is ready. But I think with the top prospects and realistically for the giants, the top prospects for this discussion are Harrison and Luciano. I don't think they, you know, I don't think they're doing this with Wade Meckler. Um, no, no. And also one of the pieces of that draft compensation thing is that those prospects have to make two top 100 lists as designated. The league has a group of top 100 lists. So even if you wanted to do that with Wade Meckler, Wade Meckler's not making anybody's top 100 list. No. So it has to actually be the top prospects. Um so you've got a little bit, I think, of changing incentives around service time manipulation. But you also, you know, Zaidi kind of comes from, you know, Oakland, Los Angeles type backgrounds. Um, and especially Los Angeles has kind of used their prospects in this sort of um, sort of capacity, for the, especially over the last couple of years, where they've kind of generally tried to over-ripen them in the minors, but also call them up to fill spots when necessary. You know, they kind of, they cycled through a lot of their pitching prospects over the course of the season. They kind of did the same thing with Michael Bush. They, they did the same thing with Michael Bush that the Giants did with Luciano, where they kind of called him up for a week or two mm-hmm. and then sent him back down, even though he's one of the best hitters in the minors. And he's four years older than Luciano. So um, from that perspective, yeah, I get... At the same time, though, I think the Giants like kind of pushed it a little too far this year. They didn't really like. They essentially didn't give any of the prospects other than Schmidt enough runway to figure out whether they were, you know, useful twenty twenty three major league contributors. I they think Matos of, was like yeah, Matos oh, he was bit. a little bit over two hundred at bats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair, Matos as well. Um, but. You know, the, like the rest of the guys, you know, Luci- and I know with Luciano, part of that's injury related. 
but you know they kind of you know they kind of just like ran through a bunch of guys yeah. um without ever really stabilizing anybody in the lineup for two months i guess patrick bailey too but that was you know patrick bailey came up and seized the starting catcher job yeah he, like he was literally right? a necessity because right. of you know if he didn't and, and, work out then man i don't i don't know what would happen in that position and you know what that's a really nice job by them i know his overall seasonal batting line ended up not being particularly good because they were playing him a lot he got worn down um, I don't think he was really expecting to play 100 games in majors this season. Yeah. Um, and there, but, there's no reason to take him out of the lineup if he's yeah. fresh because he's a switch hitter. So, yeah, I mean, that's, switch that's how they look at it. And it turns out that he's just improved fantastically as a defender. He's a stellar defender now, which he was always like a good defender, but he's just like a phenomenal defender at the catcher position now, which is, which is great. You can kind of just stick him back there for the next five years and you don't really have to worry about it. He's probably going to be a bottom of the lineup hitter, but yeah, I think so. His defense is going to be good enough that he's going to be an average to above average starting catcher for, you know, the period of time in which the team controls his rights, which is, you know, ultimately that pick got like killed for years because it looked like he wasn't going to get to that level. Especially actually, two years after the yeah, Bart pick. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Bart, it looks like, you know, in some ways, Bailey is becoming the player that it looked like Bart was going to be, um, where he was just going to kind of be a defense first, bottom of the order guy. I know not at the time Bart was drafted, but like the second and third year after he was drafted. Um, instead, it looks like Bart's a quadruple A guy, which is I know. Not, so that's so yeah, sad for. I, I'm, I, I feel bad for that guy because yeah. some of this is pandemic related as well, mm-hmm. and. Yep. Buster Posey retiring when they weren't yeah. sure that he was going to retire is kind of a surprise. Like there's lots of things that you can kind of circle about his career that were unfortunate that I, I, I mean, I, as a fan of his, I just kind of hope that he, he figures something out and he can, he can still be a major league baseball player at some level. Yeah. I mean, you know, he certainly could get it together. He's still not like terribly old, but going back to what you said about Schmidt earlier, that's been Bart's problem. Yeah. Since Absolutely. they initially called him up in 2020, just he swings it, he swings more outside the zone than you know he he should, and there's you know doesn't make enough contact, and kind of just the entire offensive profile collapsed from there, um, you know, and that's you know that's pretty common with catching prospects. Catching yeah. prospects bust out at higher rates than anybody other than pitcher, certainly any other uh, hitting position. And it's just, it's the physical rigors, the mental rigors of the position. It's a really tough position to play. It's a tough position to carry the defense at the major league level. You know, you've got all the pitching staff leadership responsibilities. You get the crap beat out of you back there because you take all these foul balls. You take, you know, back swings. You're on your knees for three hours a night. That's You you know, know, we we have this study in the NFL of, you know, these concussions and what they've done to older has, had they done similar studies about catchers because of taking all the foul tips back in the day. And I'm sure the, the catcher's equipment was not nearly as good as it is now. It's definitely something there's awareness of. I actually haven't really seen any studies. They might be out there. It's just just not something I, it's not something I familiar, I'm familiar with, but there's definitely been awareness and there's definitely been more, um, 
they don't have like the concussion spotters, but they've trained all the team trainers to do like the quick concussion tests. And, you know, supposedly if it's close, they're supposed to pull guys, obviously not a catcher, but the Anthony Rizzo thing this season where Rizzo was playing with a concussion for three months and like nobody figured it out. And, you know, like fans are going like since he took this shot to the head like he's hitting like 120 what's going on and then eventually they realized he had a concussion the entire time it's terrible um yeah so there's definitely like more awareness i'm not sure there's as much as you would like but also there's probably less um less catcher concussions and there are like NFL wide receiver. Although Francisco Cervelli did end up having to retire from concussion from repeated concussions. I yeah. do remember that a couple of years ago. So it's not, it's not nobody, but um, yeah, that right. if there's not data on that, there definitely should be. All right. Now you mentioned Meckler who, who Brad, Brad and I affectionately call Spexler because we love his glasses. Uh, he, so he comes up. Now, the problem with Meckler coming up this early is that now he's on the 40 man. So yes. he takes up a spot yes. and you can't, uh, you, you know, you, it's not like, you know, you're, you're going to be able to just, you know, at some point you're not going to be able to bounce him like, like they did this year. And then ultimately he's got a spot that may be needed for somebody else, but you cannot use that spot because, and, and now he's so young he didn't even really need to probably take up a 40 man spot for another year and a half, but they felt yeah. that because they're so unathletic in the outfield that he was going to be the guy. And he uh, honestly, he, he was at some times really bad in center field. <laughs> like I felt, yeah. I felt for, I was like, okay, you're not ready to be here, but you're still better than, you know, whomever else they, that they had to throw at that. Cause Matos was not great in center field either, though he was fine yeah. and left, but, um, what about that sort of 40 man manipulation? Has that come back to bite some teams in the butt when they've done this with younger players? It does. Meckler's not super young. I know he was only drafted in 2022, but he was, dra- I, I, I don't know exactly what his draft status was, but he was functionally a senior sign. A lot of those guys had weird eligibility because yeah. of the pandemic, but he was, dra- he was, ar- he was already over 22 in his draft. He was an older college pick um, in the rounds where older college picks tend to get taken. Um, you know, the option rules by the time he's going to be out of options, he's 26. So do we, you know, by that time, he's probably going to either be established or major league as a major leaguer or not be established as major leaguer. Um, I I will cop that I've not done a deep dive on exactly what Giants prospects are Rule 5 eligible for this upcoming <laughs> Rule 5 draft. I don't know. My sense is this is not the world's Hunt, deepest. Maybe Hunter system. Bishop. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, we it, know they they don't need to add Hunter Bishop to the forty man. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can definitely say that. But like a lot of the more interesting near term prospects, you know, Wizen Hunt doesn't have to be added yet. Um, Reggie Crawford doesn't have to be added yet. Rainer Arias definitely doesn't have to be added. He's still in the complex. He just yeah. signed recently. Um, Bryce Eldridge was just drafted out of high school. He doesn't have to be added. My sense is that they don't have a lot of guys to add to the 40 bed, so this probably isn't going to be a problem. Like that 
that group of prospects it's most likely to impact the team in 2024 or has been in the system long enough to need to be added to the 40 man they're pretty much all on the 40 man now like you know Keaton Wynn and right. uh, Meckler, Luciano, so, so I, I guess, uh, and and I'm sure that's in the calculus to bring yeah. Meckler up, right? Like yeah. that they yeah. thought that through yeah, as far as. Yeah, you're looking at your upcoming 40 man and you're going, is this actually going to hurt us to have this 40 man spot taken up this upcoming off season? And presumably the answer was no. Um, and, you know, it was worth a shot. Meckler's one of these guys where he had this incredible top-line performance in the minors and at all four levels of the minors that really wasn't as driven by the advanced batted ball and plate discipline data as you would hope. He was just – he was hitting for a tremendously high batting average on balls in play. Oh, yeah. He's hitting like over 400 on batting average and balls right. in play or something like that. It was Which like is ridiculous. not – which is not random, but also nobody hits over 400 on batting average and balls in play for any substantial length of time in the right. majors. They just don't. Like, like the range of reasonable numbers for BABIP um, for hitters is between like 260 and 350. And the guys that are running batting, you know, BABIPs in like the 350 range are like your eight hit tool guys, which again, Wade Mackler is not an eight hit tool guy. You know, is he kind of like a nifty offensive performance guy who makes a lot of contact and kind of, you know, hits the ball in the air a lot and takes his walks? Yeah, yeah, he's probably that. But, you know, that's, you know, he, well, I think I, he's to probably okay. going to be in the top 10 of the system, but it's not like, you know, he's not like a candidate for like national lists. So, well, the other. Uh, outfielders, uh, center fielders specifically, uh, Vaughn Brown and uh, Grant McRae, those guys yeah. had down years this yeah. year. Yeah. And so I think that kind of, you know, when, when you look at who's coming up, like yeah. Meckler kind of jumped over those guys. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the the other thing is, you know, the, fa- the mere fact that he's a left-handed hitter, I'm sure helped him get up close uh, faster than Tyler Fitzgerald because yeah. I was – a Tyler Fitzgerald guy just saying at the very least he can back up Crawford and he hits Mm -hmm. the offhand of Crawford. So, you know, he's a, he may not be a fantastic shortstop, but I think his metrics were a little bit up this year. And, uh, but again, you know, same, same issues as all these other guys is contact rates and, and all this stuff, you know, he's not, he doesn't have a fantastic profile for that stuff, but just the mere fact that he could play shortstop and they threw him out in the outfield and he was fine but just the athletic ability alone, I was like, man, we need to bring some players up who have some athletic ability because the the overall team yeah. speed and and stuff was so sad all year long. Like you're watching these guys play station to station baseball in a season where you have all of these teams taking advantage of the new stolen base uh, size of the bag. And yeah. somebody in Acuna who has this historic year uh, taking advantage of that. And the giants are like dead last in stolen bases. And I was just like, what is going on here? And the, the rate of um, pretty much everybody's stolen base rate got above 75% this year. Unless you're just like the world's slowest or worst base runner. <laughs> so like, you know, guys that previously it would not have made sense for them to attempt large amounts of steals 
were all of a sudden running all the time, especially on more aggressive base running teams. Um, and they were basically just picking up free bases nonstop because, yeah. you know, pitchers have gotten so bad at holding runners um, that, you know, if you can kind of just, you know, you get your couple of throwovers and then most of the time they're not throwing over anymore because you can't, um, you, as we discussed earlier, if you throw over a third time and don't get the runner, it's a balk. Um, so yeah. And you know, you get somebody in like Fitzgerald who does have the capability to steal a lot of bases and has stolen a decent amount of bases in the past. I did see, um, they mentioned him in the end of season presser as a guy who's probably going to compete for a starting job next season, which is, which I thought was interesting. It, the, um, the fact that they did not bring him up until the end of the season yeah. tells me that there was something that, you know, they, they didn't like. And, and then he comes up and, 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 you know, he, he was striking out just like everybody else, but he had a couple home runs. One was against the Dodgers. So I'm sure that makes them happy, <laughs> but he was actually able to steal some bags too. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if he was, I think he was over 30 in, in all of his combined uh, appear, uh, all of his combined games this year on in majors and minors. So, yeah. I mean, you know, he was, he was running and he, he looks like a good athlete. And yeah. I just, I just found it so weird that out of all the guys that they were so comfortable bringing up and, signing Johan Camargo and guys like that. And you have this kid and and they were so willing to bring up these other kids. And he was the one that they just were not willing to bring up. Yeah. And you know, he was a guy that had to go on the 40 too. If you start talking about that, it was a 2019 draft pick. So he, he, you have to add him to the 40 if you want to protect him from roll five. And yeah, they did ultimately, but yeah, it was it's a little bit weird. Um, I, I do kind of wonder sometimes with the Giants, um, and I thought this more about Kapler than Farhan, um, the pace at which teams have been improving their processes over the last few years has been like really rapid and exponential. Um like shockingly so um, in terms of just like teams are getting smarter, which has left some people who we thought were really smart as recently as three, four five years ago, struggling to keep up. You saw this in Boston with Hein Bloom where, right. you know, Hein Bloom at the time he got hired just four years ago was considered one of the brightest up and coming executives in the entirety of the sport. And then by the end, it's like, he's like, okay, he's not like, he's no, he no longer has like a wonder kid um, attached to him. And I do kind of, um, I kind of wonder with that. Um, I, my colleague at BP, Mark DeLucci wrote a piece at Sports Illustrated. He also writes for the uh, Giants uh, Sports Illustrated site. Um, and one of the things he noted, which was absolutely true and does comport with things I've heard as well, is that the the Giants are substantially more compartmentalized than the other um, other major league operations. The smartest major league organizations have gotten like really collaborative, like um, kind of everybody does everything. Um, if you talk, you know, like the smartest scouting directors I know are incredibly well versed in incapable of doing their own analytic work. Mm -hmm. Um the smartest analytics guys I know are capable of doing scouting work and doing mechanical work and doing player development work. And you've got a lot of, you know, your 
best organizations, your Dodgers, your Rays, um, like the model organizations that everybody's trying to be like, like everybody's collaboratively involved. And then you kind of hear with the Giants, it's a little bit more siloed off and, you know, Gabe Kapler is doing the manager stuff, like the traditional <laughs> manager stuff. And, you know, the scouts are doing the scout stuff and the player development guys are doing the player development stuff. And, you know, you've got the, the guys at the top um, kind of melding everything together, but maybe not in that full collaborative sense. Like, So you're saying you things. may not need 15 assistant coaches on, on a baseball team. Right. But it's like, <laughs> that's kind of, that kind of, I'm trying to, you know, if you start looking at like these weird things where it looks like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing um, in terms of just like, cycling through players or call-up decisions maybe being different from player development decisions. Um, you know, I, I think Mark's point that the siloing off of various departments may have um, contributed to that. And I I have no idea what, what drives that. I don't know if that's a management style. I don't know if that's just things that happened because of who is there. But, you know, if you kind of start looking at, you know, why aren't the Giants improving quickly into that kind of Dodgers, North California, like I think they were trying to do a few yeah. years ago, um, you know, that's a potential factor. Also, you know, Kapler is a very strong personality. I, I probably don't have to tell anybody that's listening to this, that, that one. And, you know, he also has had his, you know, he came up um, in on the staffing side as player development guy. Yeah. Um, so he's going to have his own thoughts on yep. all of that stuff. Um, I was. A, were you surprised that he got let go? I was a little surprised. So I, I I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to turn uh, this conversation more towards that side of things. Yeah. I think um, I expected them both to come back for one more year, yeah, just because yeah. management had publicly said that that was the plan as of a couple weeks ago and so this this uh, terrible end of the season seems like it torpedoed him uh, a little bit which i get it you know you you uh, ha- like a month and a half ago the giants were supposed like had like a, a very high percentage of making the playoffs and then they just gave it away they were in the proverbial driver's seat and huh. and they just lost it so my thought was he's coming back. Zaidi's coming back, and it's sort of like the the show me year. They both had. I, I think Zaidi had has an option in his contract, so I don't yeah. know what what Kapler's was, but it was like here's the show me year, and if you guys can sort of bring it back, then you know the, the, there's the faith. But when it was Kapler and not Zaidi who, or, or not both, you know who who kind of took the brunt of the responsibility of it. I was surprised because you could sense that Zaidi was almost like, man, like that's my partner in crime here. Mm -hmm. And for me to still be here and for him to not be here, it's kind of like him taking the fall in a sense. Like he was very sort of apologetic and you can tell they're really close and they're really good friends. And then the thing that I thought was very interesting is that Zaidi said, that he himself is going to have to be a little bit more flexible in feedback and in opinions and in maybe process changes sort of operationally, like you're saying. So that was interesting to hear him say that. And at the same time, I I kind of wonder, like, 
you know, if, if, uh, if what works best with Zaidi, his hand-picked guy, did not work. So essentially what the Giants are saying is maybe your way isn't necessarily the only way. And maybe there has to be this blend of, of feedback and, and opinions on stuff. Um, because who who is out there? I think the, the manager selection is going to be interesting because if you the, the talk of this town is if Bob Melvin gets let go in San Diego, he would be a great fit. He's a former giant, you know, but he also he he works well with analytics, but he's also very opinionated in yes. in things. So if they moved to a Melvin scenario, is that the better way to work with someone like Zaidi where you know, it's you're just not lockstep like him and Kapler were like lockstep in the same ideas and the same philosophies. And so if it went to badly like this year who's who's going to have a suggestion that says okay maybe we can't do it this way when both of the, the manager and the the baseball ops guy just agree so that's going to be interesting in uh in who they bring in uh and i i don't i don't know i, I like that i'm kind of, like who they bring in is going to tell me what they what they believe is, is is the right way of doing things and you know zaidi was he was heavily sought after here. Like they brought him in and they were like, this is the guy that's going to turn the franchise around. And the giants are like you said, the giants are going to be the Dodgers, you know, North. I um, mean, it hasn't happened and some, I, but we have to give him the benefit of the doubt as well, as well as all these other general managers. And, you know, with all the things that happened during the pandemic, some of them have worked out far worse for some teams than others. But yeah, like what is your take on that whole thing? Because you guys, what you guys do, is you know heavily analytics based and scouting based and and just tying all of these things together what what is what the giants did say to you about what they think about who they have in charge so it's it's weird you usually don't see outside of like super successful 20 year tenures he's going to be hiring his third manager he inherited Bochi and yep. then he hired Kapler and now he's also getting to hire Kapler's replacement so if you're if you're letting him pick another manager, you're almost you're not actually because you can fire the president of baseball operations and stick the new one with um with a manager he didn't pick. Yeah. But most most guys coming in from the outside are going to want to pick their own manager. You just saw this with the Mets where David Starnes blew up Buck Showalter, so he could pick his own manager. Um, so you're almost committing to like the current situation for two years because you're most managers get two years at least, um, even if things don't go well, unless they're like just monumentally terrible or something, you know, happens where they have to fire them. So it's almost like you're committing to stay the course for a couple of years here, which again, I don't think is the wrong move. You know, the Giants, the Giants have shown in a lot of ways improvement as an organization over the I think Farhan's been here five years, give or take, mm -hmm. um, which is, it doesn't feel that long, but um, time, time both feels longer and shorter now. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it, it's been a while and they've shown lots of improvements in, you know, in their player development and some in their scouting um, kind of modernization towards becoming a modern franchise and that pro those pro that process does take about five years to actually like fully get into place. Like it yeah. takes a couple of years to hire all the people you want, and then it takes a couple more years to, 
get them doing the things you want and kind of get everybody on the same page. The weird part about letting Kepler go within this is that the Kepler was kind of the, I don't want to say ideal because that's overstating it, but a very common model now is for teams to hire a manager that's in lockstep with the front office. That's the vast majority of managers. If you start looking around the league, there's maybe a half dozen managers that don't fit in that mold. You know, Dusty Baker, Bruce Bocci, um, Phil Nevin with the angels, although he just got let go the other day, maybe a couple of other ones. Most of like the big name, um, I'm going to do everything myself. I'm not the collaborative front office guys. Don't have jobs anymore. Like yeah. Joe Girardi doesn't have a job. <laughs> right. Don Mattingly doesn't have a job. <laughs> like Joe Madden doesn't have a job. And they're like not getting interviews anymore either. Um, so Kapler's almost, and you know, Kapler has a player development background and Kapler has, um, well-versedness in analytics and modern training techniques, maybe too much. Maybe that was a, you know, maybe that caused communication problems with some players. That's been right. something that's kind of been out, you know, um, especially going back to Philly for him. Well, and here's the thing, right? The giants model for this year mm-hmm. was to sign guys to one year opt-out deals. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, the, there was a, a conversation about, you know, Logan Webb has been very vocal about, you know, this locker room. When I came to this locker room, I'd say you got Buster there. And so you you sort of looked to Buster for approval before you did something. But when you have a team full of guys who are on one year deals, what what kind of clubhouse is that? They're they don't know if they're going to be around. You know, they're not like Logan Webb, who's like, I sign I'm here for the next, you know, five years or whatever. And I'm going to be here and I'm the guy. And you look at someone like Michael Conforto and you're like, Hey Mike, uh, you may, you may be gone and you were injured for half of the year. So what does that mean for a clubhouse? I think that also is something that needs to be analyzed for what the giants do. I'm not saying sign everybody to three-year deals. I'm just saying the way that they try and fill in these blanks and maybe the year, maybe they did that this year and last year is because they're just waiting for these prospects to kind of come in. But it just seemed like, you know, you have guys who are there for the long run, like Logan Webb and very few others. And everybody else is just like, this might just be my cup of coffee here before I go somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, it, it becomes difficult to so much of what a manager's actual job is, is just like hidden to us. Right. Like we don't see the day to day interactions with the players. We don't see, um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the current managerial job is communicating the team's plan to the players. Like we're going to, and getting them the right information to succeed because there are players that are like incredibly well analytics versed and just want to hear like absolutely every analytic and want to know <laughs> yeah. the hitters that want to know the starting pitchers VAA, and, <laughs> you know, pitchers that, you know, are incredibly into, but there's also an awful lot of guys who want somebody to take that for them and just give them actionable steps. They don't want to hear yeah. about, you know, yeah. They, they don't want to hear about the pitcher's VAA. They just want to know what it means to them. Right, right, right. Um, and how they can how they can play better. And, um, you know, the, the Giants were kind of a 
weird team in terms of like it, it was like very stratified mix of like established veterans and then like extremely unestablished players mm-hmm. um you don't really have like that like you know like the younger stars but then you also do have logan webb around who's kind of you know you know logan webb had a viable cy young case this yeah. season and had a decent one last year too like he's you know i i would say logan webb's an ace at this point which i don't know if that's like a controversial statement but for like his last four innings he's been like freaking great and and you know, he, and he and he's a so much. He's, yeah, he's he's a sinker ball guy. Yeah, and they had terrible defense, yeah. Yeah. and he still pitched through that, which which tells me you know improve the defense a little bit, and you may have a guy who could win a Cy Young. Yeah, you know maybe you get less Wilmer Flores in the field. <laughs> this right? is I, see, I, Wilmer's I, Wilmer's hitting third on our beer league softball team. That is his. I, that is I, his future. I, Love Wilmer Flores. He's, yeah, he was great. Wilmer he Flores. was like he was an, a very fan favorite player this year because he yeah. he he overproduced. Right, but every everyone else underproduced, and he's like the one guy who overproduced. Optimally, you probably don't want thirty-two-year-old Wilmer Flores in the field a whole no. lot, right? Nope. You know? Not even at first base, really. <laughs> yeah, like you didn't really want twenty-two-year-old Wilmer Flores <laughs> in the field that much either. Like if he's your right-handed DH. Yeah, and you have a left-handed yeah. DH, and you can afford yeah. that because you have a mix of players who you can use defensively. Great, yeah. but they didn't have that, so he had to yeah. play a lot of like this dude's playing second base, yeah. second base in the infield. Your second baseman has to do the most running out of any position. If he's, he's here, out there. Here's another one back to our discussion earlier. Wilmer Flores was once the starting shortstop on a pennant-winning team. <laughs> That's tremendous. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it. You have to fudge a little bit because uh, Ruben Tejada got hurt in the playoffs that year and he was sort of the starting shortstop. But Wilmer Flores was shortstop when he came up and played a lot of shortstop his first couple of years with the Mets. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now, you know, just think. And he didn't have a lot more range back then either. It was brutal. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah. But he tried. He'll always try really hard. Um, you just, he's tall. So if he dives, you hope that he can fall on the baseball. Uh, but. Uh, you know, Kapler, I don't, you know, I don't know if he was the right fit for that team as it was. But then, you know, other than Melvin, most of the early candidates we've kind of heard connected to that job are somewhat in the Kapler mold. Yeah. Player, you know, former players that have, you know, are on the younger side, have both front office or player development experience, also have on-field coaching experience, you know whether it's, you know, Kai Correa is the internal candidate, Clayton McCullough, Will Venable, Stephen Vogt. Will you know, Venable's that. dad also has Giants. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or the Max. I remember Max Venable. Yeah, that's a little before my time. But, yeah. <laughs> he was, um, I think he was on the Giants literally the year that you were born, maybe the year before that you were born. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so those are – and those are kind – those are – managerial candidates are much more in the capital mold than like a Bruce Bochy right, kind of right. mold. Um, Melvin's maybe the guy that might be in the middle. He's he's like the two unicorn candidates um, this off season for everybody that wants a manager, Craig Council and Bob Melvin, um, who are both widely considered, I don't know, two of the five or six best managers in the majors. Um, Melvin did manage for, for the A's, yeah, you know, yeah. back in the day. So he, you know, and he, um, 
He has very strong expressed preferences to stay in California too. That's come up. And, and you know what's funny about times. Melvin? You know what's funny about yeah. Melvin though? Last year, uh, the Giants were in, in this sort of weird experience of, uh, you know, we're up six, we're bunting. We're up six, we're stealing bags. Stop us. Like that was their mentality. The person who was the most there, there were two people who both had Giants ties who were the most pissed off at Kapler for, you know, kind of running up the score or whatever were Bob Melvin and Matt Williams. <laughs> they were the Williams. most yeah, angry yeah. Uh, when, when that stuff was going on. So uh, that that's kind of a funny thing because, you know, Kapler was just in that thing of like, you know, we, we can't think that we got the game in the bag at any point. We just have to continue to score runs. And Melvin was just like, come on, dude. It kind of sounds like the. I know the Padres haven't officially announced anything. It kind of sounds like they're going to run it back with both Preller and Melvin, which um, if that happens, I'm genuinely surprised about that. It seemed like that was a situation where one of them was going to have to go. Yeah. Um, and you know, if that, if Melvin's not available, you really haven't heard, you know, I, I think it is the industry expectation that council is going to end up with the Mets or stay with the Brewers. You know, those are kind of the options. I haven't, has there been any council buzz in San Francisco? I've not heard his name tied to yeah. the giants at all. Yeah, I, I have not either. So other than that, most of the, most of the connections there are kind of your, you know, 35 to 50 year old guy that kind of has like the player development scouting conduit type. Um, right. Right. conduit type thing i you know I, i'd be curious kai Correa has got a really cool story and has yeah. a really interesting background within baseball he started as a d3 baseball coach and worked his way all the way through so you know if they're going to he, he's a really interesting like internal candidate for that job it might be a little too early for him just in terms of age yeah but um there's yeah. also there's just something about the Kapler personality. So whomever yes. takes this job, um, they're going to have to come in a, a, as a different type of charisma than, than Kapler brought. And then Kapler, the human yeah. Kapler's a tremendous human being for, for this city. This just the, the thoughtfulness that he has, how he was raised, um, you know, a lot of that stuff. He's, he was the perfect guy for, for San Francisco, for the Bay area. Uh, and I really like that. I, I thought he's just such a, such a stand-up person. But the baseball version, the the manager version with the charisma, you just didn't have that. Like, I know Cap's got it figured out, and and whatever decision he's going to make is going to be the right one. There was always a little bit of unease about that. You know, Bochy didn't always make the right decision. But what did they always say about Bochy? He's like, oh yeah, you know, when it came to the bullpen. You know, he kind of had this gut instinct of what the right thing to do was being a former catcher and all that. And he kind of exuded that confidence. And Kapler was more like, well, here are all of the possibilities in my head. And this is why we made this decision. Not that he was necessarily confident in it, but it was the right decision because of X, Y and Z. And there's just a different communication to a to an average baseball fan who is used to the other way. To where I think if he would have had, if he would have done it a different way, I I I bet you he wouldn't have been so uh, stuffy in his language to the casual baseball fan. I think I really do think that that was a problem because what happened, and you've seen you've seen this, the Giants were like one of the only teams who went down in attendance this year. Yeah, and that's that's a big part of it. Is 
when you have the Warriors here and you have the 49ers here and you see all of those strong personalities, their co- their coaches and their GMs are all these like really strong and like confident personalities. You're like, these guys know what they're doing. And on the Giants end, very sort of passive personalities. And some of this is stereotypical for, for Zadie, which is unfortunate. Zadie's just a, a smart guy and he's not like this braggadocious former yeah. athlete guy. Yeah. And I really like Zadie again, the person, the human. Yeah. But when you have Steve Kerr, who played next to Michael Jordan and got in a fight with the guy, like that gives the 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 fans a sense of like, oh, like our coach kind of, you know, he he knows what he's doing here. And unfortunately for Kapler, he had that 2021 season, which he should hang his hat on for the rest of his life because that was fantastic. But outside of that, it was just like this like ho-hum Here's what we're supposed to do. This is what it, it says to do. And that's why we're doing it. And the fans were like, okay, we get it. But what happens if it doesn't work? And then Kapler was like, well, we're just going to do it again. Cause it's the right thing to do. And the fans were like, okay, but what happens when it doesn't work? Well, we're just going to keep doing it. Cause that's what we believe in. And that was his communication to the fan base, which you can imagine the maddening uh, of, you know, you do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. That's what the fan base was like. Why are we continually doing it this way when it's not working or when it only works 50% of the time based on their win-loss record for the last two years? He's like, he's just like kind of a weird guy for like, uh, he's a weird guy when he's a player too, yeah. right? Yeah. Like he's just kind of, you know, he's into like all of this like new age stuff. Yeah. Like, you know. I like, mean, the dude's like, yeah. jacked out of his out yeah of his like, like there's a famous story where he would like lick ice cream but then spit it out so he could taste it but not ingest it no oh, um, he doesn't doesn't eat cake yeah all that stuff you know Just he does like, like his whiskey though he's a big whiskey yeah. guy which i like about him you know there, there's the there's the fake he used to have a lifestyle blog where he suggested suntanning your private parts and like stuff like that like you know he's just like he's a weird dude for a baseball manager right you know your, your typical baseball manager is like a stern guy in a windbreaker with like his you yeah, know arms yeah. arms folded yeah, knee exactly. up in the dog you know projecting confidence and you know the post-game quotes are like you know exactly what you'd you expect out of a catalog and yeah uh, bull durham got to win right. you know, one yeah, game exactly. at a time you know, yeah, art cow and Moneyball, ball right exactly, exactly. um yeah you know where you're just kind of and kapler couldn't be further from that than yeah. anybody you'd come up with so yeah i mean when things are going great you laugh about the sun tanning your balls spitting <laughs> out ice cream and then when things aren't going good it's like what's this dude you know looking at his tablet with the glasses on and then yeah. giving these convoluted answers post game yeah. um so you know there's managers wear out their welcome oh coaches, yeah coaches the, never the, sport the, out and i mean you know with the the famous example here is jim harbaugh like the niners yeah. fan base was into this you know jim harbaugh tough like you know crow magnum man jim harbaugh and uh, and then you know when they stopped winning and he and he, he didn't have leverage with the front office anymore he was asta lababa and then they had to figure it out okay i got two more quick ones for you because i know we've been here for a while you got baseball to watch you got baseball to write like you can answer these like off the top of your head and, and we can go out of here but the first one because you're a mets guy where does shohei end up 
if you were to bet today, where does Shohei end up? That's a that's a fascinating question because I think it's a lot more difficult to answer now that he's a DH for next year, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, the easy answer is the Dodgers, right? That that's the team that makes the most sense in terms of their. So you'd imagine the two teams that are going to come in that have the capability to offer the largest contracts to the Dodgers and the Bats. Yep. Um, and, you know, just based on that, I think those are probably the two most likely destinations. Um, you know, the Padres kind of seem like they might be pulling back a little bit on salary. Um, I know the Giants have been mentioned, which I'm sure is why this was a question here. Uh, the Mariners have come up. The Cubs have come up. Uh, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Especially with uh, Cal uh, Rally. Is Cal Rally? He, yeah. he called out the front yes. office of like, hey. That- can you guys spend some money here? Their uh, president of baseball operations or GM had a press conference today that was just like a cat- catastrophic disaster. Oh, man. Um, they indicated that their goal was not to win the World Series. It was to finish as a 540 team. And they had a 10-year plan to finish as a 540 team every See, year. See, that's worse than Kapler's yes, answer. far, far stuff. worse. Yes, yes. Even, even if that is your plan, you cannot say it. No, you that's not marketing. Right. Your, right. your press conferences are essentially marketing. Yes. That is Absolutely. not marketing. Yeah. yeah, that's a situation where I think Jerry DePoto is just like way too honest about what his actual intentions were okay so you say you say dodgers and mets uh for me obviously you know giants are probably on the third or fourth or fifth best shot at it if he doesn't sign with the giants anybody but the dodgers is is because and and it's not just because he's so great and the dodgers are are good it's because i want to root for him yeah and if i cannot root for him if he plays for the dodgers so that's that's my conundrum as as myself, a half Japanese American, I, I I was I covered the 2021 All Star Game weekend um, in Denver, which was like the Shohei coming out party weekend. Just one of the most amazing experiences like you could ever have. Just like this guy, he just like he has it right. Yeah. Like he has it in like the same way that like Roman Reigns has it. <laughs> right. he just, like, has it. <laughs> There's our wrestling reference. Yeah. I was like, yeah. one of us was going to bring up. Yeah. Some, some uh, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, you know, him going to the Dodgers would just be like really boring. Right? Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's like, it's what everybody's expected for like three or four years now. Um, he almost signed with them out of high school. He almost signed with them. Um, when he came over. I mean, that was kind of a shock, right? That he did. Yeah. I thought he was going to end up in Seattle. If I was being honest, that just kind of seemed like the favorite. And then, um, about an hour before it broke publicly, somebody texted me, Hey, he's going to the angels. And I was just like, what? Like, that doesn't <laughs> make any sense. But that can't be right. And then an hour later, there's a release out that he's going to the angels. Someone sold him a bill of goods. Yeah. It was um, literally Billy Epler. Who's now the Mets general manager, which is why people, him and Billy Epler are still very close. That's the other connection between oh, there you and go. Mets. Um, but yeah, like I would almost like, like to see him end up somewhere like San Francisco or Seattle. That's a little bit off. The... Yeah. A little bit. Obviously off I would like him to end up with the Mets. The guy's the most talented baseball player of all time. I want him to be on the Mets the same. I'm sure that you want him to be on the job. Oh yeah. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. But you know, if, if he's, the, I would rather not see him on the Dodgers because that would just be, you know, well, I was looking, I was looking at, a, um, I was looking at some free agent stuff today to see, cause I was having a conversation about, 
who the Giants could grab. My like, guys, like there's not a there there are there yeah. are. You know, someone like George, someone like Montgomery is going to make some money based yeah. off of his performance today, obviously. But, you know, you look at all the guys and all of the prospects are not prospects, all the free agents. They're tight. And it says who's interested in these guys. It's like almost every single one of them was like Dodgers first. Mets second. I was like, you can't be on all these guys. But, but yeah, that's just the way that it works. They were um, my uh, my fiance is one of the baseball editors at CBS and they were working on their free agent rankings and they put out their free agent rankings. A friend of mine, RJ Anderson wrote them. And it's oh, just I gotta like, check that out. You, you go through them and it's like, Otani is one. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is number two. As, as, is he actually a, a, a sure yeah. bet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's the real deal. I've um, seen some pitching ninja stuff, of course. And it's, it yeah. It, and then it's like Cody Bellinger's number three. He's a yep. year off of being non tendered. Yeah. Matt Chapman, who's been yep. awful since Memorial Day, um, is number four. Aaron Nola is number five, who his, his ERA has been hovering around four the last few years. And then you get down like Lucas Giolito's number. All these eight, guys who were open awful. for yeah. all at the deadline, who teams are just like, nope, I'm not trading for that guy. Kevin Kiermeyer's number eleven, <laughs> and I really like Kevin Kiermeyer. Kevin Kiermeyer is a really cool player. If Kevin Kierman's arguably a top ten free agent, it's a really weak free agent yeah. class. So yeah. Yeah. the teams that get Otani and Yamamoto are going to be super duper happy, and then it gets real thin real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, up, what's up with Snell? Is Snell a free agent? Snell is a free agent, but you know you like RJ had him number six. Okay, he put up these incredible results this year, but like. He has what this is 2023 walk rate was one of the highest walk rates for like a starting pitcher in like the modern baseball era. Yeah, and he's and like, like uh, he throws five innings. Like that's, that's right. his limit. Yeah, it's a five and dive guy. He just he doesn't throw the ball in the zone. So like he's gonna he's gonna win the Cy Young and he's gonna be one of a small handful of pitchers to be Cy Young winners in both leagues. Um Every pitcher in that group is either a Hall of Famer, is going to be a Hall of Famer, or is Roger Clemens, who right. obviously would be a Hall of Famer if he wasn't Roger Clemens. Right. Um, and then there's Blake Snell, who <laughs> you know, you kind of, but you look at like Blake Snell's expected results versus Blake Snell's actual results for 2023, and his actual results are Cy Young Award, and his expected results are number three starter. My guess is he's going to get paid in the middle of that, but you know, I I think a lot of teams are just not going to be in on him because yep. he's going to get 150 million dollars despite the fact they walked like five and a half batters yep. per nine innings this past season. So like he's a lot of teams are just going to consider that kind of a time bomb type situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, all right, last question. Um, if you if you were to Someone gave you a hundred bucks and said, Hey, right now, just go put a hundred bucks on the team that you think has the best shot at winning the world series. Who do you put it on? Are we saying the best shot or the best odds? Not the, the odds. Don't have to worry about odds. Just the best shot. Oh, as much as this pains me to say, I think I would put the money on Atlanta. Just that, 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 that breaks my heart to say. I but, actually um, know some Dodger fans who are kind of happy that they're not the favorite because they kind of uh, come in as a little bit of an underdog here because they they just they just expect the Dodgers to screw up at some point. That um, that, that Braves team this year just like my God, like 
up and down the lineup, just tremendous hitters. They play good defense. They pitch well, you know. Spencer Strider's another guy who had a Cy Young case this year. You know, they won, you know, they've won a hundred games both of the last two seasons. Like it just, if I, it, it pains me to say this because the last thing in the world I want is for Atlanta to win another world series yeah. as a Mets fan. But like, what's the weakness here? Like in their line, like they're like, their right-handed side of the one spot they platoon <laughs> isn't that strong. Like, yeah, the, the weakness is that against left-handed pitchers, they might like DH Travis Darno and play Marcelo Zuna in the field or something. Like, that's just you know, the the, the I guess the back of the rotation's not that great. Like I'm assuming Freed's probably gonna pitch and Morton's probably gonna pitch. I don't know who their number four starter is going to end up being, but like we're talking about weaknesses and it's like their eighth place hitter against left-handed pitching and their number four starter, which just like, if those are their weaknesses, they're the world series. favorite. Well, Brad, Brad and I did this exercise when the giants played the Braves this year and we yeah. went, okay, we just went one through nine in their lineup. Right. Every single player would be the giants best hitter. Right. It's like superstar, <laughs> superstar, 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 these guys are only stars. These guys are only all-star level players. And then at the bottom, they've just got like a couple of good regulars. Like, it's just like, I also feel though, if Philly gets on another role, they're yes, going to be like yes. the dandy of the casual oh, yeah. baseball. Fans, they got, so. they got, um, they're in the fifth inning right now. They're up three, nothing. Uh, wheelers, wheelers, absolutely shoving. And those fans are just standing up. I assume they're screaming. I don't have the sound on, <laughs> but they're waving those red rally towels. And this play, the, the place just like looks like completely nuts. Cause yeah. it, you know, if you go back to last season, it looked completely nuts last season too, which I, I don't know. Like I, I tweeted this the other day that like, I'm almost like bandwagoning the Phillies. The Phillies are just like a tremendously fun baseball team right now. They've got a lot of really fun guys on their team. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a lot of like himbos basically that just like, <laughs> you know, hit baseball very far and then like have dance parties, which is like a fun combination for a baseball team. If, I, if Arizona had a better roster, they'd kind of be a fun team to follow because yeah. they play fun yeah. baseball, but yeah, they're just, they're, 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 I mean, they're only there because the wild card is, is what the wild card is yeah, right I mean, now. So yeah, they got, they got a lot of young players that are kind of up and coming that they kind of worked in this year. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Philly gets running and you know, the winner of the, Phillies Marlins is going to play the Braves in this in the uh, NLDS and yeah the Phillies absolutely could get could get hot and knock yep. out the Braves I mean, um, yeah that's what happened last year so they yeah they got that, hot and yeah I mean they they've got the you know you, that's another lineup where you, you know you look down you look up and down and they're you know five six deep in terms of star players at this yeah. point um, yep. and Wheeler and Nola you know, pretty much compares to anybody's top two pitchers. Um, they just called, uh, I, I, if you were watching Pitching Ninja, did you check out any of Orion Kirkering's pitching efforts? No, I didn't see, I didn't see it. I mean, my, my Twitter days are, are yeah, a little yeah. less than they've been yeah, maybe I mean, ever since well, I joined Twitter, but yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, very understandable. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted to the dopamine hit of posting. So I'm saying like Blue Sky just doesn't have no juice yeah, yet. Blue, so I'm Blue still Sky. On, I, can't, I couldn't find yeah. anybody that I knew on Blue Sky. Yeah, I, I am on Blue Sky, but I like barely use yeah. it because it, it, it just doesn't have enough juice yet. So the, the Phillies had this, and uh, I won't digress too bad on this one, but this kid, Orion Kirkering, who they drafted in the fifth round last year, and he, as re- in 2022, he had a 5.7 ERA in the American Athletic Conference, so a mid-major college. <laughs> this guy came up like two weeks ago, and they immediately put him on the playoff roster. After his first appearance, they said they were going to put him on the playoff roster. This kid has one of the best sliders in all of baseball, majors, minors, anywhere. Just like an absolutely nuclear slider. I saw him at Jersey Shore um, in May. He hit 102 with his fastball in that game. So this guy's throwing 100, 101, 102 with just like this nuclear wipeout slider. And Rob Thompson, after his first appearance, is like, yeah, I'm not even going to pretend. Like, this guy's going to be on my playoff roster. (laughs) So they took this kid that they popped in the fifth round out of a mid-major school where he wasn't even particularly good and in 14 months turned him into a playoff setup guy. That That's it. it, The Phillies are just, like, really good at this. Yeah. Um, You know, they they have really good coaching. They have really good – I, I wouldn't be surprised if their hitting coach, Kevin Long, ends up getting mentioned for some of these open managerial That's jobs. interesting. He probably should, too. That's interesting. So. Hey, uh, thanks for doing this again. Uh, you you always come through in the clutch for me. Uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to do without Brad this week, and I was like, I, gotta, I just have to talk baseball. And, you know, you mentioned Mark DeLucci. I'm going to try to talk to Mark as well because yeah. I really liked his write-ups this, this past week. So, uh appreciate you good luck i know you're gonna be super busy uh but i you know i do wear this hat to to promote you guys uh every once in a while on podcasts so i hope people understand what i'm what i'm wearing when i'm wearing the hat so it's a good logo hat yeah i I do thank you very much for that i always very much enjoy (laughs) this where i get to i get to rant about baseball no it's great unusual it's it's podcast perfect man i love it all right so thanks to, to jared jared where can people find you on social media um my twitter is at ja seidler s-e-i-d-l-e-r um i'm still on there i guess x now um i i am still holding out on twitter I'm hoping <laughs> that, i mean it's where the eyeballs are you right. have to yeah i i hope elon sells it before he drives the entire thing into the ground <laughs> um but we'll see um i am also on blue sky as mentioned I, i'm like sidler.bsky.social <laughs> yeah, i don't know they've what, got whatever all, it is right it's the weird federated stuff like yeah. bastodon where i just like don't under like i just want to be able to type in somebody yeah that's all that's all we want to do that's literally all Um, we want to do you can find my work at baseball prospectus um i wrote a thing about josh Hader last week i he's also a free agent right he is also a free agent very good free agent he had that weird controversy where he um the padres wanted him to like pitch a lot more and it was just like thought it was really interesting (laughs) um like what what does he owe the Padres five days before free agency when right. they're not really in the playoff? Right? Right, it's, like, right, it's an right. interesting labor question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wrote about it. Um, I'll, I'll be popping in with playoff coverage. Might not be this week. I don't know. We had, Our playoff schedule is, like, different this year. So I'll, I'll definitely have coverage later. But um, 
we're starting our prospect list. So we'll start right after the World Series, and our book will be coming out in January-ish. So I will be heavily involved in all of those ventures. There we go. All right. Thanks, Jared. Uh, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.